for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. Well, Merry Christmas, everyone. How wonderful it is for thousands of us to come together on a day like today to celebrate the birth of our Savior. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Well, Chuck Swindoll tells the story of four brothers uh, who moved far away from home to go to college. They got a good education. They settled down. And over time, each of them prospered uh, enormously financially. One of their annual traditions was to go home and to spend Christmas with their aging mother, which was a really big deal to her. Well, one year, circumstances were such that none of the boys would be able to make it home for Christmas, and that deeply concerned them because they knew that their mama would not be happy. And so to make up for it, um, months in advance, they each arranged to give her a special gift for Christmas. Now, you need to understand the brothers always felt that they felt short of their mother's expectations for them, and consequently, they were just a tad competitive, especially when it came to winning their mother's approval. And so after Christmas, when they met together one evening for dinner, they just couldn't wait to tell the others about the amazing gift that they had given their mother for Christmas. The oldest brother started out and kind of heaved his chest and said, well, um, I, uh, I just had a huge addition built onto Mama's house. And brothers are pretty impressed. Not to be outdone, the second son said, well, I'll have you know that I had a $100,000 theater built into that addition. The third said, I had my Mercedes dealer deliver her the most expensive car that he had. The fourth son said, well, listen to this. You know how Mom loves the Bible and she can't read it anymore because of her poor eyesight? Well, I met a monk uh, recently who told me about a parrot who could recite the entire Bible. It took 20 monks over a period of 12 years to teach him every verse. Cost me a million-dollar donation to get the bird, but it was worth it. I mean, Mom won't ever have to mess with technology again. All she has to do is just quote the book, the chapter, and the verse, and the parrot will recite it. Well, the other brothers were some impressed. Short while later, each of the brothers received a letter of thanks from their mother. Dear Milton, I'm deeply saddened that you weren't able to make it home for Christmas. The addition you had built on my home is so huge, I'm still living in the small space I had before. Now I just have more to clean. Thanks anyways. Dear Melvin, I'm deeply saddened you weren't able to make it home for Christmas. You gave me an expensive theater that can hold 50 people. But I've lost my hearing. I'm nearly blind and all my friends are dead. I'll never use that thing, but thank you for the gesture. Dear Marvin, I'm deeply saddened you weren't able to make it home for Christmas. I'm too old to drive. In fact, I even have my groceries delivered. So I never used that big car you got me. But the thought was good. 
Finally, she wrote this to her youngest son. My dearest Michael, I'm saddened that you weren't able to make it home for Christmas. You're the only son who had the good sense to put some thought into your gift, even though it involves some work on my part. The chicken was delicious. I think they should have gone home for Christmas. <laughs> so what comes to your mind when you think of being home for Christmas? For some of you, the thought of being home for Christmas makes your heart grow cold. Because home for you was where you had to endure constant rejection, hurt, and abuse. For others of you, being home for Christmas will be especially hard this year. Because someone who means the world to you won't be home for Christmas. On the other hand, those of you who had a reasonably healthy upbringing and relatively sane siblings, the thought of being home for Christmas makes your heart leap for joy. The word home evokes all kinds of emotions. But even if our experience of home was negative and painful, the truth is deep down inside, we all have this sense of what home should be. And we long for that kind of home. And you know why that is? Because God put it on our heart. You see, the Christmas story is a story about a love-filled home that existed long before Jesus came to earth as a baby in Bethlehem. Let me explain. In Genesis 1, we have the creation story. And in verse 28, we read this. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Notice God did not say, let me make mankind in my image. No, he said, let us make mankind in our image. God's referring to himself in the plural here as more than one person. This is referring to the three persons of the Godhead, the Holy Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. You see, God has never been by himself. He has never been lonely. God has always been a community of three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. These three persons have all the attributes of God in the sense that they're all powerful, they're all knowing, they're everywhere present, and yet they are totally one in every way. Now, if you've got a hard time wrapping your mind around that, don't get too uptight. It's just an illustration of why he's God and we're not. Furthermore, these three persons of the Godhead exist in an unceasing state of perfect love, joy, and delight. Think of the best times that you've ever had with friends and family, your richest conversations and experiences. Or think of those special moments you had in the company of loved ones when you found yourself sort of sitting back and thinking, you know, it just doesn't get any better than this. That is but a small reflection of how much the Father, Son, and Spirit love and enjoy each other. Now here's the thing. When God created us in His image, 
one of the things he imprinted on our hearts was a sense of the loving community the Father, Son, and Spirit enjoyed together. Which explains why we have this powerful yearning within us for home. Where we're loved and accepted unconditionally. Where we're genuinely forgiven. Where we know we belong. And that we really matter. And in the beginning, our first parents, Adam and Eve, experienced home the way that God originally intended. They had a loving, transparent relationship with God. And they had an intimate, open, and healthy relationship with each other. And God could have ensured that the sense of home that they experienced stay that way by programming them to obey his every command. But thankfully, God didn't want puppets. He wanted lovers. In other words, he wants us to love him back freely in the same way that we instinctively want our spouse, our children, our close friends to love us freely from the heart, not out of some sense of obligation, or duty. However, in giving us the freedom to make choices, he risked the possibility of us spurning his love and going our own way. And in Genesis 3, we read Adam and Eve did just that. They decided to leave home, go off and do things their way rather than God's way, which, by the way, each of us has done. But when they did that, their relationship with God and with each other was fractured. And the loving community that they were experiencing began to unravel. And consequently, from that time on, we now live in a broken world with broken people. And even though most people are unable to explain why, We all have this hole in our heart, this ache within that we are desperately trying to fill or to satisfy. If you think about it, our hurriedness, our busyness, our striving, our obsession with pleasing people is really an attempt to fill that hole in our soul, to satiate our longing for love and acceptance, to hear someone say, you matter. You're worthwhile. Our culture's preoccupation with sex, if you think about it, grows out of this deep longing for intimacy, for that feeling, even though temporary, that I am wanted, that I'm desired, that I matter, that I'm special to someone. King Solomon had it all. He experienced it at all. And yet in the end, he said it was all meaningless. He said it was a chasing after the wind. None of these temporary things of life satisfied the deep yearning within him. And friends, that is why Jesus came. That's why we celebrate Christmas. 
He came to reveal to us that this void we have within is really our longing for God. That only God can meet the yearning of our sore soul. But more than that, Jesus also came to make a way for us to come home to a loving relationship with God. John 3.16, probably the best known verse in the scriptures, says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. A lot of things are said today about love. A lot is said about the love of God. But my sense is that many people have no idea about the true nature of God, or they have very limited understanding of the true nature of God and the true nature of His love because they're looking for love in all the wrong places. Well, in Luke 15, Jesus told a number of parables or stories to help the people of his day and us today, of course, to understand the nature of God's love for us. It's a story about a young man who grows up in a good, respected family, but somewhere along the way, he starts to get restless. He's convinced that he's missing out, that home is keeping him from experiencing the good life. And so he decides to leave home, to spread his wings and experience life in the fast lane. A short time later, he approaches his father and he asks for his share of the estate. And his father is grieved by his, respect, his request, but he gives him what he asks. He sets him free. The son heads off to the big city and soon he's hanging out with the fast crowd and he's doing some fast living. He does whatever his heart desires and he has a great time until the money runs out. And when the money runs out, so do his friends and his options. He finds himself all alone and totally broken. The only job that he can find to support himself is feeding pigs. And Jesus goes on to say, eventually the young man comes to his senses. One morning he wakes up hungry and hungover, and as he reflects on his life and the terrible state of affairs that he's in, he admits to himself that for some time already, in fact, long before the money ran out, he knew that this wasn't working. This is not what he had in mind. This is not where he wanted his life to end up. Long before the money ran out, he realized that no amount of partying, no amount of money and sex or pleasure or a bunch of drinking buddies or fame was going to fill the ache within him, the loneliness, the emptiness, the, the, the shallowness and the intense longing within him for genuine love and acceptance. 
And in that moment, he is struck with the realization that home is so much better than this. Back home, he is loved and he's accepted and he's valued for who he is, not for what he has or what he can do. And so he swallows his stubborn pride and he decides to head back home. He plans to apologize to his father for his rebellion and his poor judgment and to offer to become one of his father's hired hands since he's convinced that he has forfeited his right to be regarded as a son. Now his father, who's been watching his, for his son's return every day, spots him while he's still a long ways away. And immediately this hope-filled father runs down the road and embraces his son. And before the son can complete his apology, before he can even start his planned speech, his father wraps his arms around him and kisses him and orders that a party be thrown to celebrate that his son, whom he feared was dead, is actually alive and has returned home. Now there are several great truths about God's love that we can learn from this parable that Jesus communicated here. First of all, God delights in you. In verse 20 it says, while the lost son was still a long way off, his father saw him. And you know what that suggests? What that tells me is that his father spent every spare moment looking down the road with the hope of seeing his son returning. He loved his son. He delighted in spending time with his son. And like any love-struck father, he longed for him to return. If you've ever had a son or daughter or perhaps a sister or brother, a good friend move to another city because of college or because of work, you know the feelings this father had. You know the pain of separation and how the only thing that kind of keeps you going is the anticipation that one day soon, in three months, in six months, maybe in a year, you will see them again. Well, that is how our Heavenly Father feels when we ignore Him or drift away from Him or flat out disobey Him. Yet when you wander off for whatever reason, you need to know that your heavenly father doesn't dismiss you from his mind. He doesn't write you off. No, he delights in you and loves you so much that each and every moment he longs for you to return. You matter to him because he made you and he longs to be in relationship with you. Furthermore, God's love for you never ends. The father in this parable had good reason to be offended by the actions of his son. In fact, he had good reason to disown his son. Peter Scazzaro points out the son asking for his inheritance while his father was still alive was a huge offense in ancient Mideastern culture because the son was essentially saying, Father, I'm eager for you to die. I want to live now as if you are dead. This would have brought grief and shame 
on his father, not only in the eyes of his family, but the entire community. And many a father in that day would have responded to such a request by disowning him and driving him out of the house with nothing. And the community, by the way, they would have shunned him as well. And they would have ensured that he never embarrassed his father again by roughing him up a little bit and escorting him out of town and letting him know that, hey, don't come back. And yet the father's love is so much deeper than his son's foolishness and selfishness. Through this parable, Jesus is saying God's love never ends. He's the everlasting father. His love is eternal. Now make no mistake, when we sin or we decide to live as if God is dead or if, as if God doesn't exist, God doesn't necessarily step in and protect us from suffering the consequences of our rebellious behavior. When we sin, there's always a cost. We will pay a dear price, personally and or in our relationships. For example, in the story that Jesus told here, we don't know, of course, the timeline or the details of how long the, the younger son was away from home. Could have been a year, it might have been 10 years, could have been 20 years, we don't know. But what we do know is he lost all of his money. He lost his true friends, his influence, his reputation in the community that he grew up in. And with all the partying he did, it's not beyond the realm of possibility that he lost his health as well, or at least the measure of his health. Not to mention, if he was gone for 10 years, 10 years of relationship with his father and his family. He lost that too. Sin always has a cost, folks. Always does. And when we violate the purpose for which we were created, it grieves our Lord because he knows we're hurting ourselves. He knows we're missing his best for us. Just like a father grieves when a child goes their own way and hurts themselves. But here's the thing, even if we ignore him, even if we disobey him, he never stops loving us. His love endures forever. Jeremiah 31.3 says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Psalm 89 verse 2 says, God's love will last for all time. Even when we disobey him, when we make a mess of our lives, he still loves us. He values us. And he is for us. Let me illustrate this truth this way. Is there anyone here that's got $20 that I could borrow just for a moment or two? 20 bucks? Anybody? Uh, there's someone coming up. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Thank you. $20. I'm feeling really generous today. It's Christmas. If I was to offer this to anybody, are there any takers? Okay. All right. I think, there's, I, think every, I think there isn't a person here that wouldn't want this. Just a few are humble enough to admit it. That's all. 
bottom line is you want this, don't you? But what if I was to take it and crumble it up? What if I was to uh, put it on the floor, stomp on it, and just grime it up and get a bunch of shoe leather into it and some dirt, and now it's stuck to my shoe? And if I was to take it and tear it, make a real mess of this, would you still want it? Of course you would. Why? Because it hasn't lost its value. If it's okay with you, I'll put this in the offering next week. <laughs> Does anybody have $100? They can let me borrow for just a moment or two. No, just kidding. But here's my point. Some of you have blown it so much. You're convinced that God is just sick to his stomach when he thinks about you. And what I want to say to you is, is like the $20 bill. You are loved and valued by God not because you are squeaky clean, but because you are his child. Made in his image. He delights in you. He is for you. And his love for you never ends. Thirdly, God's love forgives and restores. When his son returns, the father does not wait for him to come crawling to him. No, Jesus says when his son is still a long way off, his father runs to him. He throws his arms around him. He kisses him. Now you need to understand in Jesus' day, only a mother could get away with something like that. In that day, for the father to do this was not only considered to be unmanly, but it was actually considered to be deeply humiliating. The right thing to do was to wait for the son to crawl to him. But you see, the father in Jesus' story here didn't care about this. His love for his son, his unspeakable joy that his son has returned and is alive, trumps any pride that he has. He takes a robe and he puts it on his son. He takes the family ring and he puts it on his son's finger. He takes sandals and he puts it on his son's feet. All of those were signs to the community that was still sticking their judgmental fingers at their son. That he had forgiven his son. And that he had restored his son. And as he does... He does not give his son a lecture. Well, I hope you learned your lesson. No manly threats like just wait until your mother comes home from work. No list of things to do first. No penalty to pay to get back into the good graces of the father. Instead, Jesus tells of a father whose love for his son is so overwhelming that all he can do is shout to all who will hear 
this is my son who was lost and is found again. You know, if you've ever experienced the absolute agony as I have of working on a document for days and then to have your computer freeze up. Or if you've ever experienced the panic of losing your wallet. Or if you've ever experienced the heart stopping terror of losing a little child in a busy mall. But then experience the absolute relief and utter joy of finding again what was lost. Then you have just a little glimpse of how God feels when we humble ourselves and we turn around and we come back home. Nothing gives him greater joy. Now Jesus goes on to introduce us to the father's older son. The older brother has been a good and a faithful son. He's never shamed his father or hurt the family financially. His younger brother has done all of that and more and and when he hears that his father has not only forgiven and restored his prodigal brother, but throws a party to celebrate his return. Jesus said he got angry and he refused to come in and celebrate. Now here's the thing. One of the main things I believe that Jesus wants us to take away from this story is that both of the brothers, not just the older, but both of the brothers failed to understand the nature of of their father's love. The older brother assumed that he was worthy of his father's love because he served his father faithfully all these years. Because he always did what his father asked him to do. The youngest brother assumed that He was no longer worthy of his father's love because he really blew it. I mean, he failed morally. He acted selfishly. He shamed his father. You know, he hurt his family. And what Jesus wants us to take away from this story is that the father in this story loved both sons equally. Even though one was a good son, And the other was an immoral son. And this was what the older brother struggled with. And really, if we're honest, what most of us struggle with. Especially when grace is given to someone that we believe doesn't deserve it. We think of the murderer the rapist, the child abuser, and our sense of justice resists individuals like this getting off free. They deserve to pay for their crimes. And you're right, of course. They deserve to pay for their crimes, but so do we. The Bible says we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
a young boy wrote a letter to Santa Claus. Dear Santa, there are three boys in our home. There is Jeffrey, he is two. There is David, he is four. There is Norman, he is six. Jeffrey is good some of the time. David is good some of the time. Norman is good all of the time. I am Norman. (laughs) The fact is, like Norman, like many of us, we think we're pretty good in comparison to some other people. But the Bible says we're all sinners. And we need grace as much as anyone. Yes, murder, rape, and child abuse is terrible, but so is slander and gossip and lying. So is refusing to extend grace. The grace we ourselves have received from God. Let's be honest, we don't deserve God's grace either. We deserve justice. We deserve to pay for our sins so you see, we need grace as much as anyone. And the amazing thing is, is that God gives it to us freely as a gift. It's a gift, but make no mistake, it's costly. It doesn't come out, it doesn't come to us out of thin air. It costs someone something. In Jesus' parable, the younger, the younger son's sins cost his father dearly. But his father's love was greater than the sin and the failure of his son. And so he extended grace and the forgiveness to his son. And in the same way, the grace and the forgiveness that God extends to you and to me is available to us only because Jesus, out of love for us, left his heavenly home that I talked about earlier. He intentionally left his heavenly home and he came to earth, to our home, became a man for the express purpose to ultimately pay for our sins against God on a cross, making it possible not only for us to be forgiven and set free in this life, but to live forever with God in the next life. This is no small matter. It cost Jesus dearly. But having paid the price, like the father in the story, Jesus loves to be outrageously gracious to those who are humble enough to see their need for grace and forgiveness and come home. I'll close with this. Philip Yancey tells about a pastor who is battling with his 15-year-old daughter. Even though she refused to admit it, she was in a very unhealthy relationship. He knew that she was using birth control and several nights she had not bothered to come home at all. The parents had tried everything to no avail. The daughter lied to them. 
deceived them, found a way to turn the tables on them, blaming her rebellion on their failure as a mom and dad. And then she stormed out of the house and left once again. And the father said this to Yancey. He said, I remember standing before the plate glass window in my living room, staring out into the darkness, waiting for my daughter to come home. I felt such rage. I wanted to be like the father of the prodigal son, and yet I was furious. I was furious with my daughter for the way that she would manipulate us and twist the knife to hurt us. And yet I must tell you, when my daughter came home the next morning, I wanted nothing in the world so much as to take her into my arms and tell her that I love her and I want God's best for her. I was a helpless, lovesick father. And friends, there is a father our Heavenly Father who loves you like that and more. And He's extending His arms out to you and He's calling out to you to come home. Come home, daughter. Come home, son. Come home where you're loved and accepted unconditionally. Come home where you belong. Come home where you matter apart from your performance. Now, friends, if you're already home in a relationship with God, I want to encourage you to thank Him right now. Just thank Him for His irrational love and acceptance, for His grace and forgiveness, for that sense of of belonging that you feel in his arms for his ongoing assurance that you really matter to him and that he is for you. Thank him for completely filling that hole within you. And worship him, not just now, but worship him each and every day by extending the grace and the love he has showered on you onto others. And whenever you catch yourself running here and there seeking someone's acceptance or finding yourself working yourself to the bone to win someone's approval. Remember this picture of your lovesick father who takes you in his arms and he tells you through the scriptures, I love you. I accept you. I want you. I treasure you. I value you. I delight in my times with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. You thank him and worship him for that. 
On the other hand, if you're here and you feel unworthy to come home to God because you believe that God's disgusted with you and your sins and wants nothing to do with you, the good news of the Christmas story is that Jesus came specially to take your place and my place, allowed himself to be nailed to the cross so that we could stop nailing ourselves to a cross so that we could be forgiven and restored in Christ. The question is not, will God forgive you of your sins, your regrets, and give you his peace? The Bible clearly says that he will. The issue is, will you accept the grace and forgiveness that God came to offer you? I'm going to give you the opportunity to respond to the Lord right now. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment? You know, while I was preparing this message, it dawned on me that this is the 31st year that I've had the privilege of sharing the Christmas story here at Center Street Church. And all I've ever done each and every year is to explain why Jesus came. Why knowing him and embracing him by faith is the most important decision that you'll ever make in your life. Each and every Christmas service, I've essentially asked the same question. Is now the time for you to come home? Is today the day you will swallow your pride and recognize that you will never be at peace until you find your peace in God? I'm going to close with a prayer, not unlike the one that I prayed many years ago that not only changed me from the inside out, but changed the entire trajectory of my life and my future. If you want to come home and be a friend and follower of Jesus, then please pray this prayer with me in your thoughts. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me and accepting me. Thank you for making a way for me to come home to you through your son, Jesus. Thank you for your grace, your kindness, and your unbelievable patience for welcoming me back even after all the sinful and hurtful things that I've done. Thank you for the opportunity to be forgiven and through your resurrection, for giving the power to live victoriously. Please forgive me for my stubborn pride, my selfishness and sin. Come into my life, change my heart, make me the person you want me to be. I want to come home, Jesus, to be your friend and to follow you wherever you lead. For I prayed in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Now look up at me. Look me in the eye. If you prayed that prayer from inside and you meant it, welcome home. Welcome home. As you step out into your new life and your adventure with God, and believe me, it's going to be an amazing adventure. But as you do, 
We want you to know as a church, we're here to walk alongside you, to encourage you, to help you in whatever way we can. And to help us toward that, I'm going to ask that you just, if you just reach um, into, reach and get that bulletin, a little bulletin you received when you came in. And if you open it up, you'll see that there's kind of a tear-off section. It's called My Response. And just wondering whether you would just want to bless us if you made a spiritual decision today. Or maybe you just sense God talking to you about something and you're, you're willing to share it with us. We'd love it if you would do that. But if you made a decision, please indicate so. Just give us your contact information. We promise not to abuse it. Just our way of getting a hold of you if you'd like us to get a hold of you. If you have a prayer need, on the back here is an opportunity. You can see it says, my prayer request. We've got a lot of people in this church that love to pray. They will hold up your request to the Lord in prayer. So fill that out. Go ahead right now. You know, you might be part of our church for 100 years. Take time to fill this out right now and, and, um, and do that. And, and while you're filling that out, just want to point out that on your way out, in each exit, there are these baskets. And all you need to do is take this little tear-off section and just throw it in there. That's all we're asking for you. And uh, also some of you, you know, you may have all kinds of questions about the Christian faith. You may be wondering, like, why believe in the Bible? Why is there suffering? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Why is he the only way? Well, we're going to have a study up at our chapel starting in January. A series of messages uh, that I gave years ago called Why Believe? that attempts to answer a lot of those questions. And you're going to have opportunity to ask questions and to talk with other people to explore these things. Friend, don't put these life-changing questions on the back burner. Now's the time to address them. We want to encourage you and invite you to be part of our Why Believe series in January. On the back of your bulletin, you'll see a little bit of information. You'll see the word Why Believe, and there's information below it in terms of how you can register. Um, and if you can't figure it out or anything else, talk to someone at the information desk or just call the church early January. They'll point you in the right direction. We'd love to have you. God bless you as you do. So would you stand with me now? On behalf of everyone here at Center Street, uh, we wish you a Merry Christmas and God's very best for the coming year. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter.